I just want to, I want to celebrate with you guys for a moment. God is, is so good. This is a holiday, like it's a national holiday. And so anytime it's something that we do every year, like Christmas, it takes on a life of its own. I'm sure in your own experience, Easter has meant different things to different ones. Some family will make a big deal out of Easter. It's like a big food and get together thing. Some are like nothing whatsoever. They're watching the Masters at home, the golf. That's golf for those of you guys who... I love talking about sports with you guys because it's just like the blankest stare. Like the Masters is a golf tournament that happens every year. Today is the final round. It's a big deal in the golf world. All right. <laughs> just I mean, for the for the 95% of you, that that explanation was useful. Um, but so for different different families, like Easter's, it's different things, right? Different churches, it's totally different. I, I came from a church where, like growing up, I've been, I've been a part of a number of different churches. Most churches do a huge production around Easter. I, there is, that is a beautiful thing. I've always just been kind of like, that's not, that's not for me. It's not my style. I love just, just doing what we do and, and him being a celebrated kind of centerpiece. In a, we'll, we'll talk about Easter today, obviously. But I love the simplicity of us just being ourselves year-round and how beautiful we are in the natural, normal state we're in. Although, I do like it when Kevin wears ties. It makes me feel a little... It, I, gotta, I have to admit, for those of you who elevated your, your fashion game today, I got to acknowledge that. It deserved acknowledgement. For the rest of you that are like me that put your black sweater on, and my wife, my wife was like, hey, that's not an Easter sweater at all. It's like... <laughs> like, this is a good, yeah, good Friday, so it's dark. So I, I made Easter slides. How about that? I, I put some color in our slides. So if you want to throw those slides up, just throw the title up. Oh, see, it's yellow. That's that, see, that's an Easter color. That's an Easter color. Well, no, I'm, I'm just, I, I want to I make sure today you guys get a piece of the significance of the day. It's not just a holiday, as you know. There's, there's so much depth and richness to what, what happened on Easter, what, why we celebrate it. The significance of it is, is just monumental in our faith. It's kind of the centerpiece. The, the crucifixion was a, is the centerpiece of sorts, but then resurrection is the differentiator. It's what makes our faith so different and... Um, we could talk about Easter literally every day of the year, and we would never run out of significant things to talk about. So I'm going to give you, a, hopefully, kind of a unique angle on it today, but I'm, I'm just, I want to emphasize this. We're here to celebrate and be great, grateful to Jesus for what he's done. It's a big, big deal, what Jesus accomplished, uh, resurrecting from the dead. It's kind of a major thing. Try it sometime. It'll be, it'll be significant for you, too. I'm going to pray with you guys. And we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Matthew 28, which Elkin already opened up the service and prayer with. So we had like a mini service before the service and prayer. It was on point with Scripture and the whole thing. It was pretty awesome. So Father, we thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. I ask God that you would just come in and just just lay over us like a blanket right now. There would just be peace and calm and joy smiles, love, that we would just feel your presence. The fullness of your presence has all of those things in it. 
there's joy and there's happiness and there's gratefulness and there's, there's just a lot of smiling in your eyes this morning, Jesus. And so we're thankful to be able to participate in the celebratory day of Easter with you. We're thankful, Jesus, for what you've done. And we ask, God, this morning that you would just open our eyes up to a new aspect of who you are so that we could live differently with you every day. And we could accurately and, and with, with full heart celebrate who you are. So we invite you in. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to prompt us to, to speak to us and to change us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. All right, it's a good day. It's a good, good day. We're going we're gonna to go back three days, four days before resurrection in our conversation today. We're going to get to resurrection. But what I want to introduce you guys to, or I want you guys to be challenged to think about, is, is who Jesus was as a person, who he was as a God that was different from all the concepts that even the disciples had before he died, all right? So he was so different as a human and as a manifestation of God than anyone ever expected. It was really hard even for those who were looking for him to recognize him because he was different in the way he spoke to people. He was different in the way he acted towards people. He said things that were confusing at times. He said things that were challenging for others. He brought great healing and great joy and great celebration. There was so much about his life on earth that made people think, wow, this has to be the Messiah. They understood what Messiah meant. So it was like the promised one that God had promised to send humanity to change them forever, deliver them, set them free, kind of broad terms like that. So Jesus does come, and when he comes, we're all mystified, and we're all in wonder and in awe about this God who's, well, he, we don't know if he's God, right? We're trying to figure out, is this the one that God had promised that will deliver us from all of the challenge that we have here on earth? And so he has these disciples, and they, they walk around Israel, and they, they talk to hundreds and thousands of people during the time that they're together. And as they talk to people, everyone that comes to Jesus is changed. They're affected, some for a temporary season, some for the rest of their lives. And it was an amazing encounter, and many interacted with him, and they're like, he was a prophet. He was speaking in a way I'd never heard anyone speak before. Some said, no, this is the Messiah. He's bigger. He's, he's bringing a new kingdom to earth like God had promised. If they had an awareness of the promises of God, they would have looked at him and evaluated it and said, is this, is this it? But the hard part of it was that Jesus wasn't dressed the way a Messiah would be dressed. We expected him to have a tie on, like Kevin. <laughs> Presidential, ready to lead. Kind of, kind of wrapped up in the garb of the leaders of the day. That's what a Messiah would look like. He's supposed to be stepping into a seat to lead all the people from this day forward. The promised one that was going to change our lives. Not just elevate our expectations, but we're poor. He's going to give us a little bit more money. We're not that healthy. He's going to help our healthcare system a little bit. He's, he, he was going to clarify all the religious content that we'd been thinking about and wrestling with forever. 
and he shows up and he's not dressed the right way. He's dressed in a, just a simple linen robe. He's wearing simple sandals. And in fact, if you dug into it a little bit, if you actually got curious about who he was, you'd find out that he was a carpenter's son. So an average tradesman is actually what he had been trained to do. And he lived in a small, small town. That small town is, is one of the biggest problems I would have had with him. There's no way a Messiah comes through, hmm, let's go Tracy, California. No way he's born in Tracy, California. If he's going to be born in the Bay Area and he's supposed to lead the region into this great moment of transformation where we then lead the world, I at least think he'd be born in San Francisco. Maybe, I don't know, where's the center of Mountain View? Maybe it's the technology center. Like, there had to be some logic around his location, but he was born in Galilee, this small, small town, way over in the middle, frankly, of nowhere. It just happened to be near a lake. All the action, all the sophistication, all the brilliance was in Jerusalem. All the people that knew how to make money, they were in Jerusalem. All the people that were educated, they left Galilee to go to Jerusalem because that education was valued there. If you lived in, in Galilee, you were a farmer, you were a fisherman, or you were a tradesman. You were simple, blue-collar, or lower. That is not where my Messiah would come from. I need a Messiah that's read a lot of books. I need a Messiah that, that understands the po political nature of our culture and society, can speak not just to me, but they can speak to my friend who's really into this over here. They can speak to my grandparents that are really, they have this strong opinion over here. They could clarify and bring clarity to every perspective that we know in our culture and society. He was from a small town and he was making tables. And that is weird for a Messiah to make that choice. So he's dressed a little funny. He comes from a very small place. He walks around and he has a handful of friends after a certain period of time. So 12 people really get dedicated and decide to follow him. So it's a picture of a, a prophet that becomes kind of universally recognized in the region. Oh, he's a prophet. But there's a question of, is he really God? as he said he was, as the prophets foretold that a Messiah would come that would actually be one with God or like God or part of God. It's a complicated conversation. So there's just a lot of room for questions. Who is this guy and should I follow him? Is he really going to give me the answers? Should I dedicate my whole life like it seems like these 12 have? Or should I just watch from afar? Well, Let's say you were brave. You had the insight that could overcome the fact that he wasn't educated in the biggest institutions. You could overcome the fact that he was poor. He was poor. He didn't have very much money. If you lived there, you didn't have very much money. You could overcome the fact that he probably wasn't as tall as me. He was probably a little shorter. It says, actually, that he wasn't that good looking either. So I got two, I'm two steps ahead of him right now. So just, just point of reference. I don't want you guys to get confused. If Jesus were here and I'm here, you'd go, Vince is much more handsome and taller. That's what the Bible says. Okay. I'm just, this is, that's what the Bible says. 
Most people saw him that way. He wasn't abnormal in looks. Remember that we told the story a couple weeks ago about David? He wouldn't have been picked out. That father was like, hey, no, these are the sons that are most qualified. And Samuel goes, no, 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 no. God doesn't see like you see. He sees inside. These external factors that you say qualify him actually is not how God has ever worked. He's never worked that way. And so, but don't you know when a Messiah arrived, you would have had the same confusion that they had with picking David. You would have had the same challenge that they had when acknowledging John the Baptist out there. These guys are speaking in a way, acting in a way that doesn't line up with my expectations. And so I'm, I'm torn even though I want this to be the right thing. Jesus was the right thing. He was the right thing, and there was 12 guys that he said, okay, you're serious enough, or at least you're the ones that God has said are the ones that are going to be closest to me. So let's assume you got over the looks, you got over the dress, you got over the education, you got over the ge geographical problem, and you go, you know what? I'm with you. I'm one of those 12. All right, so... There's more than 12 here, but we're going to pretend we're bad at math. All of you were one of the 12. All right? We're all one of the 12 today. And we're with Jesus, and we go through what we talked about last week, where Palm Sunday, Jesus does this triumphal entry, but even in this moment of great celebration, we acknowledge there's some weird things going on here. But it feels really good. Jesus is saying it's good, but there's something else going on. It's a little, he's on a donkey that we borrowed. Let's ignore that. Let's ignore that. This is the story. He's the Messiah. We're coming into Jerusalem, and he is going to set us free. He's going to ascend to the kingship. This is it. We don't fully understand how it's going to work. He's on a donkey, and he's walking over people's clothes on the street, and poor people are pulling leaves off the trees and putting them on the ground. That's not quite how we thought it would go. Feels not quite how we thought it would go, but let's go with it. We've went with it to this point. We're still one of the 12, all of us. It's just not quite what we'd expect for the moment where we take over as a group. Like, we've been in this for three years together. We know we're going somewhere. And so here we are. And Jesus starts talking to us, and he says some more crazy stuff. And so this is what I want you guys to think about with me for a moment. Go to, your, go to the next slide. It says, and then Jesus said to them, this is in Matthew 26, 31. That's the key part of the scripture I want to focus on. It says, then Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters. Say deserters. That's not a fancy food group. All right. You guys see what I did there? That was great. I hang out with five kids that are seven and under every single day. That's the level of humor I have. This is not dessert, like eat. A deserter is someone that is enlisted in the, like it's a, it's a military-like term, I'm enlisted in the army and I desert and I leave. You guys know what happens to the people that like walk away from the military. A lot of penalties, a lot of lifetime stamp, you can't vote. There's all kinds of like bad forever you're marked because you've deserted our cause. It's a serious term, okay? You will all become deserters because of me. Not for any other reason, but because of what I do, 
and what happens to me, you will turn and walk away from the cause. And it'll happen tonight. Okay, pause for a second. We've been with him for three years. Three years. We've done amazing things. He's done amazing things. We're like best friends. If we were to go around the room, we'd argue about who is going to be first in heaven. You guys remember that happened? It's, it, it would happen for us. We love him. He's our king, our guy. And he sits down with us at dinner and he goes, hey, just so you guys know, you're all going to desert and leave me tonight. That timeline is really short. Peter responds and he's like, no way, no way. How would you respond? No way. Tonight? We just got here. We're eating. Like, we just did that donkey thing. We just did the walk up. There wasn't much music or fanfare, but we all knew what's going on. This is our time. This is our moment. And Jesus says, you're going to become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He quotes the Old Testament on them. Oh, dirty move. They're like, wait a second. Is that, they knew the scripture. They grew up with it. They're like, wait, hold on. That script, I do know that scripture. It does say that, that like, that, that there's, there's, he'll get struck and that like, they'll, they'll, does this apply to me? You have to be in the seat at the table with him wondering, I'm going to desert you? And I, so often when we read this, we just go so fast. I mean, I do. I'm always reading for page count. I'm like, I read 14 pages. I am a hero. Like, if you're like me, like, I, I, I struggle with, because I always want to read a ton of books. I buy, I've stopped because I'm trying to. But I used to buy, like, two or three books a week. And I'd always, like, read. And to me, it was like, I got to get 50 pages in a day. That was, like, my mental, like, at some point, God was like, what are you doing with your time? <laughs> like, why do you feel you need to read all these books? So anyway, I, I, I do it because I was in a, like an academic mindset where it's like, I have to educate myself. This isn't just for like church prep. This is for life prep. I'd read baseball books. I'd read science fiction. I'd read, I just, it's like a little trophy I'd put on. I read that one, right? I'm probably the only one here. No one here has anyone, any idea what I'm talking about. You guys all just watch YouTube all day long and you're cool with that. Okay, good. You're, you're way advanced on me. Um, but this if you've been through college and you've been through like multiple layers of college, you just got to get through a lot of content. And sometimes when we read these stories, we approach it in the same way. It's like, oh, I'm going to read about Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. Oh, it's only three pages. This is awesome. I'm going to fly through it. And you just miss stuff because you want to get the whole story in. If you slow down for a minute here, this is a crazy little scene from his life, his closest friends, closest friends. He's like, hey guys, dinner's good, right? You guys enjoying dinner? Tonight you're gonna all desert me and like take off and betray me. But it's my fault, it's not yours, it's because of what's going on with me. I read that and I kind of just keep going and I'm like, either the disciples were dense and really focused on their food, or there's just, there's these weird moments where Jesus says stuff and it's just like it floats right by. Floats right by me when I read it. Floats right by. If I'm watching the scene, there's 12 guys at a table. Don't you think they go, hey, hey, whoa, what are we, <laughs> can you want to clarify? And then, 
And he goes, yeah, yeah, but, but after I am raised up, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. Okay. All right. He just told us a lot in a short amount of time. He's like, I'm going to be betrayed by all you guys. It's my fault, but don't worry about it. After I am raised up, what does that mean? Well, I don't, I'm not sure. Raised up could mean a lot of things if you're at the dinner table with him. Maybe it means, I don't know what it means, but it sounds like raised up from the dead, kind of. You're going to go to Galilee? We're here in Jerusalem. I'm confused. If I'm at the table and I'm one of the 12, I'm like, what is he talking about? Huh. He's hard to understand sometimes. And I think we'd all look around and go, Do you, what is he saying? And they just go like, he does this all the time. I have no idea. He's, he always says stuff we're confused about. And he always kind of tells us, like, you guys are hard of hearing and you don't see well. And, and it's like, this, is, this just must be another one of those things. Who knows? Maybe he's tired. It's been a long day. We did the donkey thing earlier. It was a big moment. It goes on. You guys know this is where Peter goes like, not me, not me. But I think all of us would go like, not me either. Peter's just the loudest. Like, we're all saying the same thing. Like, it's not, okay, Jesus, like, another strange story from, from Jesus Christ, <laughs> from Nazareth. All right, we're still here. We're with you, man. We're good. All right, we eat dinner, and then they get up, and you guys know the story. He goes, they go out, let's go pray in the garden. Okay, that's cool. We just had a big dinner, I, th- I think. It'll be okay, and then they all fall asleep, of course. All right. So you will all become deserters because of me tonight. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Let's go to the next one. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Say Galilee again. All right. Small town next to a lake. Do you guys remember anything about Galilee? This is where he was born. Not where he was born. He was born in Bethany, Bethlehem, but he... He moved there. This is where he grew up. It's also where he called all the disciples. So this is where he goes, and he, they're all, each one, he kind of goes door to door, and he's like, hey, you want to follow me, Peter? You want to follow me, Thomas? You want to follow me, Matthew? This is, this is kind of the centerpiece, the location where it all began for those guys. And it's also the place, if you remember, where he did the Beatitudes. Got Galilee. It was like his hometown. It's where he was from. It's where his family was. That's where they lived. So it's like wherever home was, where you grew up, that's Galilee. That's where these guys knew him first before all the fanfare happened. That's where the first kind of miracles really started. It was really the beginning of the whole real story. Before Galilee encounters with Jesus for the disciples, it was like we're following a really good teacher. But then we have this encounter in Galilee where he starts to heal. He starts to speak as if he's like from another place. And so it's not just a coincidence that he goes, hey, after you take off and desert me, after I get raised up, I'm skipping some details. Jesus was skipping some details. He's like, don't worry, I'll meet you at home. Don't worry, I'll meet you at home. Go to the next one. All right. So let's look at Matthew 28, Elkin's scripture for today. 
Thank you, Elkin, for leading this session. All right, so I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and emphasize this part. So this is, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Okay, there they will see me. All right, so Matthew 28. This is post-crucifixion, resurrection time. So after the Sabbath, and this is just a good story, so I want to tell you the whole story. After the Sabbath, Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guard shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. All right. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Calls them brothers, right? That's a pretty affectionate, dear term for guys that just betrayed him. 72 hours, I don't know how many days, so Friday night, he's crucified, Sunday morning, he's like, go get my brothers, go get my brothers. What's amazing about Jesus is he kind of sees it all before it happens, and he still treats us the way he treats us. I don't know who could be more unlovely than someone that betrayed you three nights ago. Literally walked away when they were coming to arrest you and lead you to your death. See, when we think about unlovely and God's like, love the world, I think we all have an image in our mind of what the world looks like, what the unlovely looks like. And usually our image of unlovely isn't the person we go like, encounter when we walk into the bathroom and turn and there's the mirror we're like <gasps> unlovely like we don't do that <laughs> we just don't we might go like oh you look tired but we don't go like oh this is rough like this is probably what God had in mind when he was like you got to love the lowest and the worst of these we don't see ourselves in that light But Jesus had these guys who he had given everything to in terms of access. The ability to know him, to understand his ways, to not just watch him do miracles, but be, be empowered to do miracles for him. Like the proof and the beauty of who God was to them higher than anyone else that got to watch Jesus during those days. There's no one else that got to see him like they did. They're at dinner with him the night before all of this. And Jesus, knowing what's coming, says, you guys are going to desert me. And it's because of me and what's about to happen to me. But don't worry, I'll meet you at home. I'll meet you at home. 
I've never, I've never wanted to see myself as someone who needed to be known as the unlovely. But I think if I'm honest, and I think if I'm walking with Jesus in the way that the guys who came before me did, there's probably aspects of my life, there's probably parts of me that when Jesus looks and sees through all of the like clothes that we put on, he sees the true things that are inside of you. He sees the motivations. He sees not just what you've done, but he sees who you are. And he also kind of has a sense of what's coming in your life. But even knowing all of those things, he goes, I'll meet you at home. And I think it's really fundamental to appreciate the beauty of resurrection, to understand like why it's worth celebrating. It's not because of it, this like story where it happened to him. That's what's challenging for me about like holidays and Easter. It's like, it's this story that's over there that I learn about and I hear about. And, and I, like you can get into Easter and you can say, well, I need to understand the theology behind it. That's why it's so significant. The theology is important. It's really important because it's the culmination of all of this messianic expectation that the, the Israelites and Jews, they all were looking for this day where God would reconcile humankind to God. It's a major transition for humanity. Those are such fundamental pieces of why we believe in God. But I could break those down for you, and we could walk through those scripture by scripture. There's a beautiful scripture in Daniel. There's a ton of scripture in, in the Gospels talking about what was accomplished on the cross and specifically with the resurrection. But I'll tell you, it feels like it's over there when we talk about it. And I'm over here, and I'm like, i got to understand it better. And maybe I'll have a deeper appreciation for what this is about. Maybe when I say Easter to you, it's like, yeah, I love it. It's a good holiday. It's like, it's a special day for me. I think what can be missed in all of it is this person, Jesus, who sees me and he's like, Vince, you're the lowest of the low in these moments, but I love you and I want you to meet me back home because I know what's happened in your life and I know the decisions, not just that you'll, you've made, I know you're not perfect. I know who you're going to be. And I'm telling you, if you have the courage to return time and time again to this, this place of origins, this place where I first encountered you. Remember when we were in Galilee and I walked up to you and I was like, hey, you're a pretty good fisherwoman. I saw you with your fishing pole out there. And I'm not hitting on you because I'm Jesus, and I don't do that. I just saw you, and you're obviously gifted to do that. But what do you think about setting that down and just spending time with me for a while? Well, you could always come back to that as a career. I know it helps you feed your family. But do you, do you think you'd be willing to do that? And there was something in that simple encounter that Irona and 12, and then hundreds, and then thousands. They had this encounter with a person that was so transformative because there was something in him, and there was something about him that was so personal 
and different. It was like God, in all of his goodness, had shown up in one body and expressed himself to me. And what he said was different than my expectations of what God should say to me. God should look at me and go, whoa, you're failing. <laughs> like, I know all the list. And the list is super long of all the things you're not supposed to do. And Vince, I hate to tell you, but you actually check every single box somehow. You figured out a way. I mean, there's one here. You haven't, like, failed to bring, I don't know, your calf once a year for sacrifice. You were really good at that. Good job. But there's 999 other things here. And, yeah, you messed up really bad every day of your life. You never got it perfect and you never got it right. That's the expectation all of us have when we think about how God sees us. Because when we step back from our moment, our life, and we look at the amazing grand nature of God, how big and wonderful and powerful he is, if we were to step in front of him, there's no way we have the expectation that he's like, oh, Vince, it's you, I've been waiting, you're amazing, we've been waiting for you to arrive. That is not the expectation we have. When the disciples encountered Jesus for the first time, they dropped everything because there was something affirming and strong and beautiful and loving that was coming towards them and saying, please join me. I want you to be with me and I want you to learn my ways and I want you to become like me. And I love you, and I value you, and I see you. And it was the first time they'd ever felt that way. It was more than a knowledge. He didn't sit there and go, hey, I want to explain something to you. I'm the Messiah, and let me explain the Old Testament to you. Therefore, you should follow me. It's the right thing to do. He didn't do that. He said, hey, do you want to follow me? But it was personal, and it was close. And so, so they did. They did. They literally left everything. And they walked around with him. They didn't have hotels. That's tough. Like they went like just for a walk. All right, let's go to sleep here. Okay. That's cool for a month or two. They did it for years. They did it for years. Because there was something about their connection with him that was so personal and so real. It was like I couldn't imagine a life where I wasn't close to him. It was a real, real first-time encounter with Jesus. And that, that is Jesus, not just in that first encounter. That is Jesus to us every single day if we go back to Galilee every single day. See, there's this moment for the disciples where we're not in Galilee anymore. We're getting bigger. We're actually taking ground. We're in the outskirts of Galilee. We're in, like, north Israel. We're in south Israel. Wait a minute. Now we're approaching Jerusalem, the centerpiece of all power and authority culturally, economically, religiously. It's all there. And, and it's us. And we're going to experience the kingdom coming like Jesus is promising here. And they get transfixed on this life that they're imagining in front of them. And it's exciting, and it's, it's full of all the good things they've been seeing. But then it comes to a, a very strange conclusion. 
and they're lost, and they're lost. They're lost because the Messiah was supposed to be the king and deliverer, but then he dies. They're lost because they were at dinner with him the night before, and he's like, hey, you're going to betray me? And they're like, it's ridiculous. It's so silly, Elkin. Who would do that? Not me or Elkin. But then they did. They literally did. They ran away for fear of also being killed. So they betrayed him. And so their world is totally upside down. They are not qualified anymore. See, they, there was probably this, this season after walking with him for a while where it's like we get really familiar with doing life with God. They were familiar with doing life with Jesus, so much so that they kind of felt like, we know what's coming next. I know what's coming next. I'm going to be seated next to him in heaven. My mom's going to ask him about it. Like this, I know what's coming. We're going to take over the world, and I'm going to be Jesus' number two, maybe three, man. I'm cool with three. I'll do four. I'll take four. I'm in the top ten. It doesn't matter. I am with Jesus. Like, and he's going to need a lot of people because we're going to take over the earth, not just this neighborhood, the earth. So I'll take, I'll take America, whatever. I'll be in charge of America. He'll send me to America. It'll be fine. I start getting these ideas about the way life is supposed to go and who God is and who he is to me and who I am to him. All of a sudden, it doesn't go the way it was supposed to. And all of a sudden, I'm exposed because I'm out here and I'm challenged to follow him in spite of everything going a different direction. And, and then I'm, I am lost. I'm ugly out here. I was beautiful when I was next to him because everyone's like, you're one of his guys. And it's like, yep, I'm the best because he's the best. I mean, not to brag, but he's the best and I'm, I'm one of his guys. But I'm not one of his guys anymore in this moment. And so Jesus comes along and he's like, I need you to remember who we were when we were home. I know we had big plans, and I know you're confused. In fact, the angel said it. I know you're afraid. You're terrified. You don't know how this moment's going to go, let alone the rest of your life. Let's go home. I'll meet you at home. Let's go back to the place where we first encountered each other, because that's the place where I need you to be so that I can tell you how the rest of this story goes. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They, there they will see me. Little shout out to the women here. It was two women that the angel talked to because the men were doing other things, being less spiritual. Women, you have a huge advantage over us men for all kinds of reasons. In the spirit realm, in the natural realm, it seems like you guys are always a few steps ahead. So that's just what the Bible says. That's why I had five girls. I did it on purpose. just want to tell you guys. I wanted my life to be better. I didn't want five boys. Okay, let's go to the next one. The last phrase, did you guys catch that? There they will see me. Okay. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this story. So we read 28, 1 through... 10, and I'm going to skip down to 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm going to stop there. It, the rest of it's important. It's go to the nations and go, go do, bring my kingdom. I don't want to focus on that today. I want to focus on the fact that they did go back to the mountain. And can you imagine a walk from Jerusalem back to Galilee, what your mind and your heart are doing, what you're preparing yourself to say to the God you betrayed. Uh, you're, you are, you've been told by two ladies that Jesus is resurrected. And they said, it's real, it's real. And they're like, huh, what's real? <laughs> like, what, he's resurrected? What does that mean? Like, they're, they're so confused about the whole thing. But to their credit, all they were asked to do was go back home. They weren't asked to understand it all. They weren't asked to make it right. They were just asked to go back to the mountain where they had seen Jesus manifest in one of the most special ways any human has ever seen him manifest before. It's when he spoke in the Beatitudes, in that long passage of scripture. It's also probably a place they had been to hundreds of times with him before. They weren't asking them to go, Jesus wasn't asking them to go deep into the Old Testament to understand the complexities of, of the historical faith. He was asking them to return to a place where there could be a personal encounter again. Where the whole dream of, of Messiah and the messianic story being fulfilled in their lifetime with them, we could set that aside. We could set aside Israel, Jerusalem. We could set aside Jerusalem, all the social pools, all the economic pools, all the bigger dreams where it's like, in your natural mind, you have to connect your experience with God to all these things you're experiencing in the natural. That's how you're made. It's, it's okay and it's normal. But there's this moment where God demands that you step outside of all of that logic and you agree with a relationship with him that is so much more fundamental and simple as a priority over understanding all that could, should, or maybe you thought would be. And it's a theme not just for the disciples, it's a theme for us. And it's a theme that God demands we come back to multiple times, sometimes multiple times a month sometimes multiple times a year, but definitely multiple times in our lifetime, where we have a logical story that partnering with God allows. It's like we step into a place of faith and we say, okay, I'm giving my heart and my life to Jesus because I've had this encounter with him. I know it's real. And then all of a sudden we start putting this story together. We piece all of our expectations together we, we even piece a story together for the people around us. It's like, this person's going to become this because I have faith. And this person, this relation, oh, this relationship meant this. That's why it was here. I, I get it now. And you start to try to make everything make sense. And I'll just warn you that the need to have a clear picture and a clear story for your life and a clear understanding of who God is and what that translates to for you 
You're at risk of being like the disciples. When the pressure comes, you're susceptible to failure. And if you start to tell your story with a certain logic that says this is the outcome that's required or demanded, it's going to get very, very hard when the pressure is so heavy that you fail. Because the only thing that fixes your failure is him coming to you. You can't go to him with failure and say, I've failed you, therefore you need to fix us. <laughs> you're, you're relying on, you're dependent upon him saying, I want to meet you. And so this is where I want you guys to join with me today in a, in a posture of like humble celebration because there's something to celebrate for each of our lives. The celebration isn't that he died, although it's worth celebrating. The celebration also isn't just that he resurrected, although obviously it's worth celebrating. The celebration is that he's called you back to Galilee because he wants you in a very personal way to be connected to the resurrected version of him that his resurrection allows your desertion, your failure, your weakness to be not just overlooked, but to be a foundation point for a new life where he is the reason for all the good things in your story. It's not because you followed him so faithfully for three years. Call it 10 years, call it 20 years. So often, guys, we're, we're so guilty of, of, oh, I'm trying to do it right, I'm trying to do it right, I'm trying to do it right, I know if I do it right, the story's gonna get better and better and better and better, but gosh, my story's like plateauing, and it's just flatlining. Maybe it's even dropping a little bit in my, in my view, or maybe it's like the disciples, maybe the story just falls off a cliff, and the whole world erupts, and you're like, oh. And usually what we do is we turn and we look at ourselves, and we go, ah, I deserted him. I failed. I failed. This was all my test. It was all about me. The truth is he knew it way before the relationship ever started. In fact, he talked to you about it when you first met him. He's like, I want you to follow me. I have a long story for you. I'll make you fishers of men. And it's not a three-year window, it's a lifetime. But he knew who you were. He knew your shortcomings. He knew all the things that would show up and manifest themselves in your life after all of the beautiful encounters you'd had with him. And he's not in the least bit afraid of those things. So what I, I want you to take hold of this morning is that Jesus is so interested in that initial encounter that you've had with him. He wants you to remember it. He wants it to be food for you every single day. He doesn't want confusion in life or seasonal challenge to take a seat of greater priority in your story. He wants you daily to go back to the place in Galilee where, where I just, I know him here. He was so beautiful when I met him here. You remember that day I was fishing and he walked up to me? You think Peter ever forgot that? No, he never forgot that. That first moment, like, yeah, these, these circumstances in your life, guys, are really loud. 
And I, I want to I list some things, not in any way to induce shame. I want you to understand the degree of God's love and his priority for your reconciliation to him and his priority for your dependence on him. Dependence on him is what the disciples had to have after they deserted him. You say, well, they had it while they were with him. Yeah, they did. They did, but now that he's resurrected and gone, and they, <laughs> their short history now post-resurrection is, well, I was part of the team that ran away from him and got him killed. It's like, yeah, he resurrected. What was your part in it? I was awful. That was my part. And he came back to me, and he said, Vince, you have always been one of the twelve. And I knew the desertion was coming because I'd read the scripture. You should have read it too. <laughs> so when you said yes on the, on the seashore and abandoned your job, you should have known in that day, oh, I'm going to desert this guy. <laughs> You're not thinking about that. Neither was he. But it had to happen. And it also shows the degree of his love for us. And so I want you guys with me to understand that there is no depravity, failure, compromise, mess up, mistake, inheritance that God hasn't already thought through before he called you. You say, well, I gave up a baby. I can't let it go. You say, I betrayed friends. Can't let it go. You say, I was terrible to my parents and then they passed away. Can't let it go. Jesus, he calls out like the, the Ten Commandments where it's like you shouldn't kill somebody. You shouldn't sleep with somebody else's wife or desire someone else's wife. You shouldn't do all these things that are like really severe. All of them are severe. All of our life experiences can be super, super severe. But I have to remind you of something. Jesus knew that about you not only what happened to you before you met him, but he knew what would happen after you met him. He knew it, and he was like, you are my disciple, and I want you to spend the rest of your life with me. And no matter how the story goes, know this, you can always go back home, and I'll be there. I will always be there for you. And I want you guys not to take that as, oh, I'm a... I'm a a beginner who keeps like circling back to beginnings. And I should overcome these things. I shouldn't struggle and I shouldn't fail or in my mind I should be able to move on. No, I actually want you to understand something. You're part of a great company of believers who knew their shortcomings, who were courageous enough with their shortcomings to look to God and say, God, whatever you say, I'll endeavor to continue coming back, Right? I'll come back. I don't care how bad of a failure I feel like I am or how short I, I fall of all the expectations I have or you have. And if you're willing in your heart to go, you know what, I'll never stop, then you're in good company. Then you're in great company. And you are restored into that rightful place as one of the 12. It's a real thing. And you say, am I qualified? Absolutely because it was him from the beginning. And so Resurrection Sunday, what it means, it means that, that he is risen. He has authority over this whole thing. He has a, earth, 
the kingdoms of the earth, spirit realm. There is nothing above him. He has been given the keys over death, and he's been given the keys to life, and he gets to decide who gets to partner with him. And I'm telling you today, he's called your name. And he said, you are mine. Are you willing to return time and time again to a place of personal encounter where it's way off the beaten path, it's not with a lot of fanfare in front of a lot of people and telling everyone that you now know the king. It's just me going back to a place of personal intimacy with Jesus. And if you're willing to go there, if you go, I'll go to Galilee, I'll walk away from all my expectations and dreams time and time again. If you're willing to humble yourself and do that, soon you'll find that you'll encounter him in a way that you could not have encountered him in any other form. It said, go to Galilee, and there you will see me. I think it's really important to understand that the life that God has called you to requires you being able to see him as he is and him to see you as you are. It's very personal. It's very vulnerable. And it's also his expectation that you have that level of encounter with him. And so I want to encourage you guys today. There's a lot to celebrate. One, he's resurrected. It's a beautiful story. He gets to, make, he gets to call the shots. He's the king. He gets to decide who's on his team. He's asked for you to sign up. And he also gets to decide that there's not one thing in your story that's significant enough to disqualify you from this day forward. And all you have to do is agree with him and begin to walk again in a more powerful, overcoming way. Not because you're doing the right thing, but because you understand that I have to lean fully, fully, fully into him. I was never worthy. I was never qualified. I was never right enough. It's all about Jesus. He's the one, after all, that picked me before all of this went down. Let's go. Last one. When they saw him in Galilee, they worshiped him. All is restored. All is restored. There was no, it doesn't say this. When they got to Galilee, they waited for Jesus. When Jesus finally arrived, they all got down on their knees and begged him for forgiveness and told him a hundred different reasons why they, he should let them back into the team. It also doesn't say they finally understood everything and therefore they could explain to Jesus what their shortcomings were and now they felt better about it and he did too, so they let, he let them back in. It doesn't say they psychoanalyzed themselves and figured out the best path to prayer, and therefore when he got there, they were speaking clearly and hearing clearly. These were the same broken guys. They just were back home. And they knew it's more simple back home. And they were able, in, their, in a greater place of humility, to say, Jesus, I want whatever you got. I'm actually less qualified than I was while we were doing all the cool stuff together. If you want me, I want you. It's that simple. But you guys know how the story ends. They all go in power and the whole world is turned upside down. And it's like Jesus never left. They become the embodiment of the king here on earth. You 
become the embodiment of the king here on earth. Your friends who need the king, he sent you. Not because you're qualified, but because you're humble. And you know that I can go anywhere that he wants me to go. And things can change. I can bring hope and joy and peace. I can bring reconciliation, restoration, and, and favor. I can do all kinds of things like Jesus did. Not because I'm qualified. I, I, I'm not good. <laughs> but he's good. And this is his way. And so I just want to encourage you guys. You're sitting amongst the twelve. Maybe more than 12. And you are, you are being called back home. You're being called back home. It's not a place of like entry-level repentance. It's a place of, I just want to love him again. I just want to see him without all the expectation, and I want to do everything I can to say yes when he asks me to go here or go there. I'll do my best. I promise you I won't get it perfectly right but I promise you he never had that expectation anyway. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. I want to pray for you guys. He's a powerful king who could choose anyone, and he chose us. You go, hey, I, I don't have the most current and active relationship with Jesus, or I don't feel qualified, or I've had one, and it just feels like it's, it's flatlining. I just want you in your heart and maybe with your hand just to say, I want to start over. I want to go back home. I want it to feel new again and I want to feel like I see him. Maybe for the first time or maybe it's like that one time. But I need to, I need to let all my expectations go and I need to just be like a child and thank him for meeting me as I am, without any expectation that I get it perfect. And so, Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come and touch each one. I pray that you would remind them of what it's like to encounter you if they have. And if they haven't, Lord, that you would allow them to see you, feel your presence for the first time. And that this might even be a place that you would call them back to, where they remember your peace, they remember your presence, and they remember saying yes to start it all over. And so, Father, we as a family celebrate your resurrection and we celebrate you calling our name and calling us home. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.